The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au as we go to God's Word. So take your Bibles and look over, first of all, at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. We're going to read together from verse 14 down to verse 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And Paul is writing to his young pastor friend Timothy of the church in Ephesus, and he says this, You, however... Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from who you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good word. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their desires." and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure a hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Then take your Bibles and flip back one book to First Timothy chapter 4, and we'll read from verses 11 to verse 16. And again, Paul is writing to his young friend Timothy, and he says this, Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take hands with these, take pains, sorry, with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And lastly, back to the book of Ephesians and chapter 4, and we'll read verses 7 to 16 again. The Bible says, But to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. 
And he gave us some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of itself, sorry, of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's again ask God's blessing, shall we? Loving Father, we give you thanks this morning again for your word. And Father, we thank you for the gifts that Christ has given to the church. And Father, we ask you as we would study now that you would speak, that Father, you would open the eyes and the ears of our hearts that we would hear what Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would say to each one of us. Father, we recognize that there is much that we have to learn. There is much that we have, Father, to change in our lives, to become more Christ-like. And we thank you, O God, that you have given these gifts to the church that we would be Christ-like. And Father, we ask you for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. God did not save us so that we could carry on living exactly as we did before. God saved us to transform us into the image of His precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the marks of the teaching of the book of Ephesians is their being changed. And the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Word of God and the gift of the ministry gifts to the church that they would no longer remain as Ephesians that were unbelievers, but they would be changed into the image of Christ and grow up to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is an idea floating around in Christianity today that says you can come as you are and you can stay as you are and carry on simply knowing that you have a home in heaven, that you've been forgiven of sin, but you can carry on living exactly the way you were before. It is not a biblical idea. In fact, it goes very contrary to what the Scripture would teach us. God saved us to transform us into the image of His precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, just as He is the image of the Father, just as He is the radiance of the glory of the Father, as we are being changed by the power of the Spirit of God to look more like Jesus so we can reflect back to the Father the glory of the Son and we can also display to the world around us those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we can display Him to those around us and they can see the glory of what it means to be forgiven, to be changed, to be made like Christ, and they can desire also to be changed as well. I want you to notice as we carry into the text, that's the logic of the text. He says there in verse number 11, he gave some as apostles and prophets and so on. He gave gifts. 
He finished the work. He ascended on high in triumph over all the work he had done. And he turned around and he poured out gifts on his people. And those gifts are outlined here as the ministry gifts to the church. That is the tremendous grace of God. In the Old Testament, he called his people to be his people, to be a kingdom of priests, holy to God. But they didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, and they were unable to be changed to walk like God and live like God. And they constantly failed. But in the grace of God, he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He, has, he fills us still with his Holy Spirit, and he's given us these gifts that we might be changed into the image of Christ. He says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So those gifts were given with an initial purpose. So we could all be equipped. We could all be trained. We could all have the tools that we need, the input we need that would transform us as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and changes us from the inside out. So there's an initial purpose, the equipping of saints, the supplying of our needs. Then he has another purpose, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to, and notice the words he uses here, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature man, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, and that's God's ultimate purpose. He gave us all those gifts to be used in the church that we might become Christ-like that we might be mature in our faith, that we might grow up, that we might no longer be babes in Christ, but we might grow into mature men and women, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in a way that's pleasing to God, conform to His image, displaying Christ to each other and to the world around us, and displaying Christ back to the Father. That's His ultimate purpose. And as I was studying this, and I think I was on a plane somewhere looking at this, and it just occurred to me, Christ is the perfect example for every one of those gifts that's mentioned there. And I'm going to keep picking that up all the way through this message. He is the perfect example. He is the perfect apostle. He is a perfect prophet and preacher. He is a perfect evangelist. He is the good shepherd, the pastor who cared for his sheep. And you look through all the book of Matthew and Mark and see all those discourses there as Jesus gathered his disciples and he taught them the word of God. He was the perfect teacher. And as much as he gave gifts to minister his word, he set the example for how we could follow and look at him and see the example, and imitate that example, and minister the Word of God to each other. He is the perfect example. So, what is this message in a nutshell? It goes like this, and it's on your little note sheet in your uh, bulletin there. Christ gave the ministry gifts to the church to develop Christ's likeness in us. How'd he do it? Number one, he revealed Christ and explained Christ and proclaimed Christ and shepherd and teach us to be like Christ. All of those gifts, he gave them all to exercise and to minister the word of God to each other in such a way that we would be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit as the word of God is ministered to each other to make us more like Jesus Christ. That's his goal. To make us like Christ. 
Well, we began a few weeks ago and we looked at a couple of these things, the apostles and the evangelists. So I'm just going to recap a little bit and then we'll move in and hit the last two there, the uh, pastors and the preachers. So first of all, Christ gave the church some as apostles. And Christ, again, is the perfect example for the apostles. In Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3, the writer of Hebrews talks about how Jesus Christ is the full and final and perfect revelation of God to his people. He is called, Christ is called in Hebrews 3 and verse 1, the apostle of our confession. He himself spoke scripture as the final full and perfect revelation of God. He was the greatest apostle ever commissioned by God. Jesus was sent into the world to speak the truth of God, to rescue and redeem us, and declare the truth to us. Those are all marks of an apostle. And Jesus is a perfect example of the apostles. Christ then gave the apostles to write and speak Scripture so that we might know Christ. The apostles were specifically those who were eyewitnesses to Christ's life and ministry and death and suffering and resurrection. Every one of those men or apostles had to have been an eyewitness to Christ's life and death and resurrection. That's why the gift of apostleship is finished. There are no new apostles alive today. Now, I know there's some crazy guys in California who call themselves the new apostles Can't be, because they simply haven't seen Jesus eyewitness to his resurrection. So they are apostles. They were the New Testament continuation of the Old Testament writing prophet ministry. Now remember, all the gifts of Christ were for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body. So Christ is equipping us through the apostles with the knowledge of himself that grounds our faith and our obedience to him. He equips us to serve through their writings. Read through the books of the apostles. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, Peter, they're all there. And all those writings are given to us, not just that we might know Christ, but that we might live this life in obedience to him, being changed into his image as we respond in faith and obedience. Christ's gift of the apostles reminds us of the fact that he gave all of scripture to us. And all the scripture promises and reveals and describes and explains Christ. He is the central theme of Scripture. He is the substance and the content of Scripture. It's all about Jesus Christ. The apostles wrote by the Holy Spirit's inspiration so that we might have the knowledge of God in Christ through the Scriptures. And because of that, the Word of God has a certain character that we must understand. It's not just like any other book. I mean, it looks like any other book. It's got pages and ink and covers, and you can read it from one end to the other like any other book. But the Word of God is profoundly different than any other book in the Bible. Any other book, sorry, in existence. It is the Bible. So we would say that God's Word regarding Christ is inspired by God the Holy Spirit. Even though He used men to actually pen the words, He inspired them to write. We would say that God's word is authoritative. 
It has the authority to compel us and command us to believe and act and obey and stop and start and whatever else it is that Scripture specifically is telling us to do in each instance. The Word of God regarding Christ is inerrant. Every single thing that it claims is without error or falsehood. It's inerrant. It's sufficient. It's all we need. Everything that you need to live this Christian life can be found in the pages of this book. It is a tremendous blessing and a privilege that we have the Word of God provided to us that we might read and study and memorize and meditate. It's absolutely sufficient for all of life and practice. We would say the Word of God is clear. It's simple enough for a child to grasp its message, and yet at the same time it's deep enough that the wisest and the greatest of the scholars throughout all of history and into the future will never be able to plumb its full depths and understand everything in its pages and its lines of text. It is clear. It can be understood by even a child. It is powerful. The Word of God. Why is it that we preach the Bible? Why as we make such a big effort about the Bible's preaching and study and ministry? It's because it alone, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, used by the Spirit of God, is powerful to change a life. To radically transform us from, as Poovan was reminding us, thieves on one sense and saints on the other sense. It changes us from those who are lost and without any hope under God's wrath and takes us and makes us his children, his saints. God cannot have any association, any connection with sin and evil, and yet he washes us clean, we who are sinners, and makes us his children and draws us into a relationship with himself. How does he do that? The Bible says, by the washing of the water of the word of God. It's a powerful book that we have. All of God's word concerning Christ is perfect. God's word must have all those different characteristics because it concerns Christ and him crucified. If we had a tainted Bible, if we had a flawed and errant Bible, if we had an insufficient Bible, then we ought constantly be looking to something else or questioning what it was saying, because we'd say, well, it's not perfect, so we have to find some other way to know God perfectly. But the Word of God, being inerrant and sufficient, and all those other things, is everything that we need to understand and know and relate to the living God. What a God of grace. What a God of love who gave us his word to explain and reveal and describe and show us the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sense in which God pulls back the curtains of heaven and there is his word explaining his son. I heard someone say not long ago, oh, I sure wish we live in those days when the spirit of God, sorry, when the, the miracles and so on were happening in our day and we could see, you know, the Red Sea dividing or we could see maybe God on top of the mountain, the mountain shaking. No, that's wrong. We have the Spirit of God in us and we have the completed revelation of God in the Word of God. And those two together are so powerful to change us and make us like the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, unless our doctrine of Scripture is correct, we will not stay true to the Christian faith once for all delivered to us. 
If our doctrine of Scripture is flawed, then our Christian life and ministry and fellowship and worship and prayer and service, it will all be flawed and faulty as well. If our doctrine of Scripture is incorrect, we have a great problem. But when we hold up the Word of God and we say, this is it, sufficient and inerrant and perfect and authoritative and clear and all those other things, we have all that God desired us to know. You say, why don't we know more about uh, aliens or some crazy thing like that? Or why don't we know more about the Old Testament people? And the Bible makes it very clear. Everything that we need to know has been given to us in the Scriptures. You say, well, I want more. Well, here's my question to you. Have you fully understand everything God gave you? Before you nod yes, oh yeah, I've got it all, go back and read the book of Job. I got to admit, I was on the plane somewhere in the last couple of weeks, and I was reading Job. And I'm going, Lord, I know this is your inspired word, but I'm just really struggling to understand what the message of Job is. And I know before I can go demanding more from God as far as revelation goes, i got to understand the book of Job, and I'm not there yet. There's more to know. And no matter how much of Scripture you grasp and know, there's always more to know there because we cannot plumb its full depths. Christ gave gifts to the church. He gave us the apostles who spoke and write Scripture. But brothers and sisters, let us be compelled to pay ever greater attention. Let us read and study and learn and crave the Word of God. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter, like a newborn baby craves milk, we are to crave the Word of God. It's never about reading and studying just for its own sake. It's always about reading and studying to see and to savor and to know our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ gave us the gifts of the apostles to write Scripture that we might know Christ and become Christ-like. Secondly, Christ gave the evangelists. Notice in 4 verse 11, He gave some as evangelists. Christ, again, is the perfect example of the evangelist. In Mark chapter 1, and the scholars would recognize that Mark is the first gospel of all the gospels written. And the first thing that says about Jesus after he is baptized and after his temptation, the Bible says he came preaching the gospel of God and calling men and women to repentance and belief in the gospel. He called men and women into discipleship to himself. Jesus Christ is the greatest evangelist ever sent by God to preach. I'm always reading books on preaching and listening to guys talk about preaching. It's just sort of a... You're a pastor, you do that. And they all go, you know, the greatest preacher in the English language was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And the greatest evangelist in the English language was George Whitfield. And the greatest missionaries were Adoniram Judson and, and uh, Livingston, all these other great men. And as I was reading and studying for this, it just occurred to me how often we skip over the greatest evangelist and preacher and pastor of them all. It was Jesus Christ. He came preaching the gospel. He came walking amongst unbelievers and calling them to faith and repentance. Evangelists are given by God to confidently and boldly declare the whole gospel, to declare God's holiness and man's sinfulness and Christ's life, suffering, death, and resurrection, to to declare, sorry, God's grace and God's love. 
Evangelists are specifically equipped by God to go out and call men to be saved, to be born again. And you know, you say, how do you know if you're an evangelist? It's one of those things when you go out and you begin to open your mouth to speak to somebody and there is a natural flow. I'm not an evangelist. I love to preach the gospel. I love to preach about my Lord Jesus Christ who died for me. But when I go out, I struggle. It's a wrestle. It's a constant prayerful thing. Lord, give me the words. Lord, don't let me stumble over. Don't let me make a mistake. Lord, help me as I talk to this person. And it's a wrestle. It's a struggle. I watch others. There's a dear older saint in our our church here. You watch him go down the street. Doesn't matter who he meets. He's in a conversation within minutes and he, or seconds sometimes, and he's just happily, easily sharing the gospel with them. And I go, wow, Lord, that's an evangelist. That's a gift to this church to call men and women to salvation and faith and repentance. But again, remember, all the gifts of Christ have a purpose for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body. Christ equips us through evangelists with examples of gospel ministry. All of us are called to share our faith. And you might do it with fear and trembling, and you might be only able to say, here's a gospel tract. Or you might be able to say, hey, you know, uh, uh, there's someone speaking at our church tonight about Jesus. Why don't you come in here? And you say it with a tremble in your voice. And all of us to do that work of sharing our faith. And it might be as simple as just saying, you know, what did you do this weekend? You know, I went to my church and I, I worshiped the Lord Jesus Christ. And you give a very simple testimony about your faith in Christ. We have evangelists. Christ gave the church evangelists to give us an example of how to do gospel ministry. He gave us and he equips us through the evangelists with a detailed knowledge of the gospel. Christ equips us through them by continually reminding us of God's grace and God's love. The gospel must be preached inside the church. When I was younger, I used to hear this little catchphrase, We go out to witness, we come in to worship. And the idea that I got in my head was that we'd always just go outside the doors of the church to preach the gospel. But when we were together, we would sort of put that aside and go on to the, quote, bigger things or the deeper things. It's not true. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the biggest thing. It is the deepest thing. And we are to preach the gospel inside the church. Christ equips us through the evangelist so that we can serve him in sharing our faith in Christ. And Christ is still raising up men and women to go out and preach the gospel and to make disciples. The apostle ministry, that's finished. It died with John on Patmos. There are no new apostles, but God is still in this day we live in raising up evangelists and sending them out to preach the gospel. And maybe... Maybe God is calling you to do that. I don't know all of you in this room. I don't know what God is doing in some of your lives. And my plea before God is that he would raise up from this church evangelists and pastors and preachers and missionaries who would take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the far corners of the world and right across the street as well. Listen. 
Consider the love of Christ our Savior who set the greatest example of evangelism in his own ministry. The love of Christ who calls men and women to follow his example and preach the gospel and call others to faith. Consider the grace of God who gave the church such a gift. Thirdly, I want you to notice that Christ gave the church prophets. And prophets are those who are called by God and equipped to be his spokesmen. Christ, again, is the perfect example of prophets and preachers. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Christ is the greatest spokesman that God ever sent and ever raised up. Every word that the Father gave him to speak, he spoke. Not one word ever crossed his lips that the Father had not first given and approved for him to speak. He said himself, He told us that every word he spoke came from the Father. He was the greatest spokesman of God. Prophets are called and equipped to be God's spokesman. In Exodus 4 and Numbers 12, the prophets spoke for God. Whatever God gave them to speak, that they must speak. They were not allowed or given the freedom to sort of pick and choose what they would say that God gave them. Whatever God gave them to speak, that's what they proclaimed to the people of God. Prophets were Old Testament spokesmen for God. The writing ministry of the Old Testament prophets was replaced, like we said earlier, by the writing ministry of the New Testament apostles. And prophets today are still men whom God raises up to be his spokesmen. There's a lot of debate amongst Christian scholars. How do we understand the word prophecy? Some would take it that they stand up and say, well, you know, the Lord has given me a word and and somebody in this church is going to go outside and buy a red car and drive across to Sydney and do something else. And they say, that's a word of prophecy. Here's the problem with that. If they're wrong and nobody buys a red car and nobody drives to Sydney, by biblical standards, we're supposed to take that guy to the top of the roof of the church and toss him off because you didn't speak a word for God after all. But prophecy, and the way I see this, and most uh, conservative evangelical scholars would say, the gift of prophecy is best understood by the word preaching. They came as God's spokesmen speaking for God, proclaiming and declaring the truth of God to the people of God. Christ gave gifts of prophets and preachers to the church. In Matthew 3, John the baptizer, the last of the prophets, as Jesus called him, he came preaching the gospel of repentance and faith in God. In Mark 1 and Hebrews 1, again, Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. He came preaching the gospel. In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus commissioned the disciples to be his witnesses. In Acts 2, as the Spirit came down on them on that great Pentecost morning, what did they immediately do? The Bible says they ran out into the streets of Jerusalem and they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people out there. So there's a, there's a connection there with the Spirit of God and God's commission and the idea of preaching. Preachers or prophets, if you want to call that word, are specifically gifted to proclaim and declare and apply the word of God in Scripture in a vocal, audible form. Now, preachers are not the same as the Old Testament prophets because the Old Testament prophets, when they claimed, thus saith the Lord, if they got it wrong, they died. 
And I am so thankful as a preacher, if I occasionally get it wrong, you don't come in here, grab me by my shirt collars and haul me up to the roof and toss me off because I got it wrong. Because that's not the same level of requirement there. But a preacher is one raised up by God to be his spokesman to proclaim and declare the word of God. Preachers preach Christ in all the word of God to build greater faith in Christ, to strengthen us for greater obedience to Christ, to encourage us through the difficulties of discipleship, to comfort us in the difficulties of following Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? Preachers preach Christ and him crucified. Paul said it. I came amongst you. I didn't want to know wisdom and all these other fancy things. I desired, I resolved to know one thing amongst you, Jesus Christ and him crucified. All the scripture is given to reveal and describe and explain and declare Jesus Christ and him crucified. We come preaching. What do we come preaching? Christ and him crucified. We preach Christ Not just him crucified, but all the aspects of Christ. Christ and him crucified. So we preach Christ too. We preach Christ's deity. And it moves us to reverent worship and fear of God. We preach Christ's humanity. And it helps us to identify with him. To see Jesus as truly man representing us to God. We preach Christ's suffering and that moves us to love him more and inspires a willingness in us to suffer with him. We preach Christ's words that instruct us to obey him. We preach Christ's actions in his life and it inspires us to live and walk like he did in obedience to our heavenly father. And we preach Christ's glory which inspires us to loving worship of him. Everything is about Christ. There's a problem if I get up and preach modern psychology or self-help or three tips to a better marriage or five steps to, to a longer life or something like that. If I replace preaching of Christ for anything like that, there is a great problem. Because all of a sudden I'm saying what the Bible contains is not enough. I have to give you something else. And all the Bible contains is all focused in and and centered on Christ. And so my responsibility, my commitment before God in this church is to preach Christ from all the scriptures. I was in a conversation with one of my uh, brothers-in-law. And he's an elder in a church in the interior of British Columbia. And he said to me, he said, what's the focus of your ministry now? I said, you know, Dave, and and he sort of tried to answer the question for me. He goes, I think you're more of a a doctrinal kind of guy. I "I don't know about that. I'm not smart enough to be a doctrinal kind of guy. I said, you know what, Dave? I said, my goal is to preach Christ from all the scriptures. I look at the writings and and the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he used to say, I take any text... And I find Christ in that text, and I find my way from that text to the cross, that I make my preach Christ. And he said, you know what? If there wasn't a clear direction from that text to Christ, I'd just cut a shortcut all the way through and get to Christ sooner or later. But the goal of all our ministry, whether you're an elder or a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or whatever it is, your goal is to preach Christ and to declare Christ. 
Preachers preach Christ from all the world, all the words, sorry, to instruct the people of God in who He is and what He requires, to correct our wrong thinking, to reprove us and to show us the error of our ways. We preach Christ to train the people of God in righteousness. Prophets are Christ's gift to call us all to Christ's likeness. But the question must be asked. And I'm not standing asking the question. I'm standing hearing the question and have to answer for myself. Just as there is an expectation by Jesus Christ for us to read and heed the writings of the apostles about Christ, so also there is an expectation that we will be listening to the preaching of Christ in all the word of God. Romans 10 says this, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And how will they hear without a preacher? Christ, in love for his people, raises up men to preach and proclaim the word of God. But the question is, are we listening? Every believer, me, everybody. There's no, there's no us and me thing here. We're all on the same level. We're all the Lord's sheep. And every single one of us must be regularly sitting under the sound of the preaching of the Word of God. There is something spectacularly different that happens when the Word of God is translated into vocal sound and projected out, and the people of God hear that Word in their ears. And the Spirit of God takes that Word and begins to work it into their lives and convict them and compel them to love more, to confess sin more, to repent of sin more, to trust in God more. But we all must be sitting under the sound of it. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 that we are to give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to the explaining of it, to the exhorting of it, to the teaching of it. Why? Because that's what God has given the church to change us and make us more like Christ, to bring us to Christ-like maturity. But are we listening? Are we striving to adapt our lives to God's Word and to Christ? Am I? I listen to five or six sermons a week, and you know what I find the easiest thing to do is? I start critiquing. Well, you know, his points weren't very clear. He didn't use enough scripture. And I start listing off in my head all the little problems I find that sermon. And before you know it, I've stopped listening to what he said. In some cases, I just switch it off. But you know what I know? I, I, I had uh, lunch with Uncle Jack. And I've told you about Uncle Jack. And in case you don't know who Uncle Jack is, he's the dear older man who used to uh, teach me how to study. He invited me over to his house and said, you know how to study the Bible? And I said, not a clue. I don't know how to study. I just read it. He said, okay, well, that's a good starting point. And he began to teach me how to do exegesis. And he equipped me with tools. He wanted to send me home with a box, no joke, this big by this big by this big, full of books, about 30 books in there. And, and I was too stupid to know how I could have gotten them on the plane. I figured out afterwards how I could have gotten them on the plane, but I didn't. Anyways, Uncle Jack taught me how to study, Okay. And Uncle Jack, if he stood here and preached, he doesn't have a voice like mine. He's, he's 83. I've I got to tell you this. He's 83. You know what he does with his life now? He gets up in the morning, and at 7 o'clock, he goes to the first coffee shop he can find that's open. He opens up his laptop, which has a big thing of Jesus sticker on the back of his laptop. He pulls out his giant NIV Bible. He buys himself a coffee, and he sits there in a coffee shop. And he says, I just wait for the people to come, you know. 
and they come. And as they sit down beside me, they say, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm studying the Bible, you know. And then he starts to share the gospel. And all day long, 83 years of age, with a voice that's cracked and failing, with a heart that loves the Lord, he just can't stop himself from sharing Jesus with everybody he meets. Why am I telling you all that? If he stood up here and preached, his voice would be about this level, and it would be about this monotone thing all the way through his entire sermon. And I guarantee you, by the time he finished, it would be as quiet as it is right now in this room. Every one of you would be leaning forward to listen to what he has to say. You know why? Because he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a power in the message he preaches. And when he preaches, there is a power behind it. That's the Spirit of God. What's my point? It's not about how well you can project your voice. I can do that. I can turn the mic off and bellow. It's not about that. It's not about alliterated points. It's not about a perfect sermon structure. It's not about a perfect exegesis. Well, it's about that for sure. But it's not about all those other technicalities. What it's about is the Spirit of God taking a man of God, equipped with the Word of God, and speaking through him. And if I have a heart to hear what God would say to me, a mouse could preach and I would understand something from God. The problem is we've made sermon listening and sermon critiquing and preaching almost into a celebrity thing. But you know what? Christ gave gifts to the church. Prophets, preachers is one of them. And he calls us as the people of God to sit under the sound of God's word and hear what he would say through his word. And I'm always amazed if I go with the mind that I want to hear what God would say to me, if I want to know... I want to hear what God is saying to me this day. He will speak. It's not about the man he's using. It's never, it should never be about the man he's using. I used to pray and ask God to make me a preacher. And sometimes I wonder if that was not a best thing that he answered that prayer. Because God uses men. And the men that he greatly uses are usually not the ones with their name in lights. On the back of every book you go into the store and see. They're men who live quietly like Uncle Jack. And go into coffee shops and share the word of God in a quiet, simple way. And when they go there and they begin to speak, people listen. But my question to us, pardon for the rambling... I'm still pretty tired. But my question to us is, God gave us these gifts, evangelists and apostles and preachers. The question that stands before us is, are we listening to what God is saying? God spoke through a mule. If you come into this church every Sunday morning with a heart to hear what God would say to you, he will speak to you. And I am convinced there are days I walk off this platform and down the back and into the, my office and I despair. Lord, I don't even know. I don't even understand what I just said. I don't, I don't know. I, I start looking in the want ads. Maybe there's a job you know, in carpentry. I can go back to doing that. And someone will come up and say to me, you know, when you said whatever, the Lord really spoke to me. 
And I'm convinced that there are times when God speaks in spite of the preacher, not because of him. In fact, I think he speaks mostly in spite of him and almost never because of him. But he raised up those gifts and he gave them to the church to declare his word. I have a responsibility and a commitment before God to speak the word of God as faithfully as I'm able to. But it also falls on all of us from the back door to the baptistry to be listening regularly to the sound of preaching that we, God, might use that preaching and the Spirit of God might take the word of God and change us from the inside out. And that's the point. And once again, we're running out of time, and I still have a point left, but I think I'm going to leave it, and we'll pick it up next week. It's not important. It's not important that we finish it, is what I'm trying to say. Brothers and sisters, sitting here week after week, and for some of you, this is just an exercise you go through every Sunday morning. Just as surely as you go to the doctor once a month, and get your hair cut once every six weeks. You go to church every Sunday morning. It's not enough to come into a church and sit here and sing the hymns and pray the prayers and read the scriptures and sit through a sermon and drink some tea and coffee and chat with some friends and go home. If that's all you're doing week by week, you've missed the point. You may as well stay home and watch TV. But if your desire as you come here is to worship God with all your heart, to hear God speak into the depths of your soul, to hear the Word of God brought to bear on your life, and your desire as you walk in this door is, Lord, speak to me. Lord, meet me here in this church and open the eyes of my heart and the ears of my heart that I might hear what you would say to me. I guarantee you one thing. You will go out of that door every Sunday morning different than when you walked in. He gave us those gifts. He gave us those gifts because he had a purpose in it to grow us and change us and make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is responsibility of whoever stands behind this wooden box to preach the word of God with his best ability, empowered by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit for that purpose. But it is your responsibility to come into this room, sit under the sound of it with a request of the living God that he would speak to your heart and speak to your soul and you would hear what he would say to you and then respond in faith and obedience to what you've heard. It's like playing catch. You guys ever play catch with a baseball? One guy's got a ball and a glove in one hand. He takes the ball and he throws it to the other guy. And the other guy puts up his hand with the, with the glove and he catches the ball. I love that smack as it, as it hits the glove. One catches and one throws. My responsibility before God is to throw the ball, to throw the word of God, if you like, with all of my ability, empowered by the Spirit of God in your direction. But if you stand there like a bump on a log and it bounces off your head or your shoulder and you go, I didn't get it, the Lord won't hold me accountable for that. He will hold you accountable for not reaching up and putting your hand out and saying, I want it. 
I'll take it. The Word of God as it's preached requires a response from the people of God. We preach Christ to build faith in Christ. We preach Christ to move people to repentance of sin. We preach Christ so that men and women will come to know Him in a deep and an intimate way. It doesn't matter whether you've been baptized or not. I mean, yeah, it's important because of obedience. But just saying, I was baptized, I'm part of this church, I'm okay, I'm all good with God. That's not right. It's a relationship with Him. It's an intimate, deep fellowship with the living God that's built up and, and grows as the Word of God is poured into it and the Spirit of God takes that Word and works it through our lives. So how are you responding? Week by week as you come in here, how is you, are you responding to what's being said and what's being preached? Do you just critique the sermon? I don't agree with this and don't agree with that. And I wish you hadn't said that. And why do you do this? And it's too long. You hear that all the time. You can do that if you want. But you know what I discovered in my own life? Every time the Spirit of God pokes at me, if I'm not willing to hear it, I got five critiques on that sermon. But when the Spirit of God pokes and I listen, powerfully changes me. So my call to us all, and I mean us all, not just you sitting in the chair, all of us, is to listen to those things that God is saying. He gave us those gifts that we might grow. Listen. Hear. Respond with faith. Respond in repentance of sin. Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Him.